What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter so come through and big thanks to produce row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program. Once again, if this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so. And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to leave those reviews. You can do it at any time. And if you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe wherever you are listening from. 
The podcast is available on Spotify. I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there as well every first of the month. And that Spotify profile is in the episode notes. So you can find that there along with the link for this week's guest. Joe Van is on the show. Talented multi-instrumentalist and singer and songwriter based out of Northern California. You might know him from the band from Indian Lakes, which he started over a decade ago. And that was his big entry point into the music scene. And that band has made some really great records over the years, including Able Bodies, which we talk about quite a bit. And Everything Feels Better Now is another one of my favorite records from that band. But last year, Joe put out his first solo record under the name Joe Van. And it's one of my favorite records that came out last year. So it was really cool to get to talk to him and learn where he comes from a bit and dive into all the From Indian Lake stuff. I just really appreciated getting to hear about his music journey and what he's learned about not only the process of making music, but also some insight on the business and his decision-making over the years with the band. He's uh, just an incredible songwriter, and I'm excited to uh, finally get to see him play live this coming week. He is currently on tour, and if you're in the Pacific Northwest, he will be up here in Eugene on February 16th and then in Portland, Oregon at the White Eagle on February 17th. I've never had the opportunity to see from Indian Lakes. I've only gotten to be a fan of the record, so I'm very excited to to get to see Joe play live there as well as at Tree Fort Music Festival in Boise, Idaho at the end of March. I will be out there doing some interviews and coverage of the festival and got lots more Tree Fort bands coming at you as well as a chat with one of the founders of the festival coming at you soon. So stay tuned for all of that. But uh, yeah, this Found in the Smoke record that Joe put out is uh, one that really resonated with me. The lyrics hit heavy, and I just appreciate his approach with the the songwriting and his delivery of the vocals. And there's there's a really cool live set of the album, I think front to back on YouTube that you can check out. I'll put the link up for that in the episode notes as well there's some clicking in the background of the conversation on joe's end i think it was a a pen he had so if you're listening and you feel like you're losing your mind to some background noise in your home or office or wherever you're listening it's it's in the audio and it's not in your surroundings or or just in your head so uh it's it's not a big distraction or anything just wanted to throw that out there and also at the end of the episode i was introing the the song out and i for some reason called joe's record found in the the storm instead of found in the smoke so there is that as well that record is available though on all the streaming services and hopefully there will be another vinyl pressing coming soon for all of us dummies including myself that missed out on that first run and also if you are a portland local and listening on release day i am djing at north 45 on valentine's day from seven to nine that's over there in northwest portland free spot to see live djs every tuesday night and every sunday afternoon 
They've got DJs and uh, this Valentine special with myself selecting the jams. I'm excited for that. And then also check out some free live music at Produce Row Cafe in Southeast Portland. They've got music twice a week over there as well. Thursday nights from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And every Sunday they've got a DJ over there playing the brunch jams from noon to 2 so all the links for the sponsors and supporters of the show will be in the episode notes as well. And with all that, we are going to jump into episode 295 with Joe Van. Big thanks to Joe for chatting with me. This is uh, such a cool conversation and just another very cool opportunity for me to get to talk with somebody whose music I've been listening to probably for the last five to seven years now. And uh, I just feel incredibly fortunate for what I'm doing every day with my, my life right now. It just feels like I'm waking up and listening and talking to people about music for the majority of uh, the workday. And that is a, is a cool place for me to be. So uh, appreciate all of the, the longtime supporters out there. If you're new to the show, every Friday we're doing this thing in-depth chats with with artists from all genres talking a lot of songwriting as well as uh what's behind those songs and where people come from and whatever else comes up along the way so i'd encourage you to go back and check out some previous episodes some great ones recently last week i had the band husbands from oklahoma city on they will also be at tree fort and are on tour right now Alex Meltzer from Portland, great producer and beat maker, was on recently. And another incredible singer-songwriter, Skylar Gudaz, was just a couple weeks ago. She's out of Durham, North Carolina. So lots of great music being shared here. And also every other Tuesday, you can find episodes of I Dig Records, which is a series that I do with my cousin. And it is us typically doing the deep dive on an album. Recently, we did Wayne Shorter's 1965 jazz record, Juju. That was one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. Definitely a cool entry point into that series, I think. For the most part, it's my cousin co-hosting. Every once in a while, there's a a guest co-host here and there when he can't do it. But uh, yeah, check that out every other Tuesday. The next episode of that coming at you. This coming Tuesday is uh, one of my favorite records of all time. We uh, are talking Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. If you haven't seen that documentary that HBO did recently uh, around that time in Alanis' life, amazing. So check it out. Hope everybody's doing well out there. And we are going to, to get into it. Episode 295, Joe Van is on the show and we're kicking it off with one of my favorite tracks off that into the smoke record it's called shuffle around let's do the damn thing shuffle around the house again making excuses avoid your friends i was around on your front step buzzing you late at night you made up a drink and you sat me Right. 
All right, man. Well, I'm uh, I'm very excited to have the opportunity to to chat it up with you, Joe. I got exposed to the From Indian Lakes music maybe a few years after Able Bodies came out, and my oh, okay. friend Tyler turned me on to that music and he was right on the money with with sending that my way it was definitely uh you know everything i dig about the the indie rock genre is kind of covered within that that music so i was very excited to find out that you were you were putting out some some solo jams and sometime last year i actually added one of your songs to my monthly playlist not knowing your association yet with the from Indian Lake stuff. I just knew that I, I dug the music. So it made a lot of sense to me when I later found out that uh, Joe Van was, was indeed the dude from, from Indian Lakes. So it's, uh, it's nice. awesome to have the opportunity to, to get to chat it up with you and definitely want to, want to dive into, you know, maybe a little bit of everything, but definitely center the, the focus around your, your found in the smoke record that came out recently. So, I figured maybe we could we could start from the beginning, man, because I know that this record has a lot to do with where you come from and and your upbringing. So talk to me about where you come from and and what that experience growing up in rural Northern California was like, and kind of how that has influenced the record and and how how those experiences have informed your life, man. Uh, sure. Uh, first off, thanks. You just said a bunch of really nice stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to just, I always think it's so weird when I'm listening to an interview or something and somebody rattles off a bunch of nice stuff and the person just says like, cool. And then keeps talking. <laughs> I'm like, kidding me? Like the heck I grew up, um, in a part of the sort of Sierra Nevadas, um, near Yosemite national park in uh, central California and yeah. And I grew up on a big piece of property with, you know, I think the first thing people usually, when they look me up, uh, they read about how I didn't have electricity and I lived in a trailer and all that kind of stuff. Um, which seemed normal until I got probably got to high school. And then even the people that other people that were growing up in the mountains, were let me know pretty quick that I was like, not, we weren't the same as far as like, uh, how sort of redneck the levels of <laughs> certain check, checking certain boxes. Uh, and so when I started studying music at a really young age, probably I think nine or 10, um, studying, uh, I, I was doing private lessons every week, uh, doing jazz drumming which is like a very weird thing for where i was coming from growing up on sort of country music and classic rock and yeah. all that kind of stuff and then um but getting into that stuff and so that sort of led to um being in a lot of punk bands being in a lot of playing drums and, and a lot of like uh progressive metal stuff that play like a lot of the bands around here were doing a lot of like screamo and metal and all that kind of stuff and even with stuff i didn't really connect to as long as it was interesting to drum to i was like into it but pretty much once i got out of high school i 
was kind of taking things and writing on my own and writing more in the vein of the stuff that I grew up being into, which was more, I don't know, like the, the country and the classic rock and all that stuff, but also the listening to a lot of like, I don't know, sixpence none the richer and like the cranberries and, and sort of like oh, this weird mixture of like the mountains and being exposed to stuff, really connecting with stuff. And I think also just maybe the pitch of my voice in the mix of everybody that I was surrounded by sort of like led me to singing, being really into like the softer side of singing and songwriting, but also like still trying to write riffs and like weird time signatures. And I, it's just all of this weird stuff that kind of like mashed together. And so I've really enjoyed kind of touring for the last like nine, 10 years doing the indie rock thing and trying to figure out kind of just doing whatever and kind of touring the world and experiencing as much as I can. And then ending up sort of getting back to the simplicity of everything and how to attack a song with as few tracks and instruments as possible and sort of use everything you've learned to do as little as possible and how that, how you can, and hearing the songs played back after writing and recording them and going, you know, and kind of feeling like you can sort of feel it. There's layers there that are beyond like 20 drum tracks and things like that and vocal layers and all that. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of like how that, the Joe Van album kind of like came to be. Yeah. Was it, uh, was it interesting at all going from the previous from Indian Lakes record being dimly lit and being this very collaborative project, lots of big production? Was there a interesting juxtaposition there for you going from making that record to making this solo record and, and making everything pretty, trying to dial it into something a little more simple and stripped down? I think I was just exhausted. And I think that it's, it's funny. Cause like I talk to a lot of young artists and I try to, and you know, they're going through whatever they're going through. And I try not to sound like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, we've, I've been through that and I've been through this or whatever like that, because there's never a tour or an album or anything where you don't learn something, uh, no matter how much you already know and how well you've prepared or whatever. And so like with that last from Indian lakes album, I was in between labels and had major labels and like mid-sized labels and different people who were wanting to meet, really liked the songs, had a lot of opinions about a lot of different stuff. Um, and I just thought it was going to be, you know, I'd, I've always kind of navigated things in this very like DIY, you know, watching my peers kind of take certain paths that I have the option to take. And I'm, and I don't because I know that it wouldn't be right for me and, and just kind of doing this and that. And I um, sort of learned with that album that you just like, I tried to do, I had a blast collaborating and 
doing all of this and you know there's so many songs on the album and the songs are so big and there's so much to it but like in the end it ended up being this like totally diy no press no budget and i was talking to people and i was and and there was have journalists saying like that it had covered for many links before whether it was like pitchfork or stereo gum or these people you know that i just thought yeah like these people really like have said really nice things so they'll probably write about it and they would respond and say you know this is cool like i'll get something at this website or this whatever and like all this stuff sort of built up but in the end the difference between that and this joe van record that i just released ended up being almost the difference was everything that i put into it and what i got out of both is essentially the same besides the amount of fans and sales and all that that Trimonian Lakes has sort of amassed over the years, but like it motivated me to just say like, you know, I'm, I'm writing these like really simple songs. I really love them. I think it's the best thing I've ever done as, as I'm working on it. And it's becoming apparent that like the less, sort of the less of a fuck I give, the more I'm going to get out of it. Yeah. And <laughs> I gave, you know, I really cared about everything up until that point. And I tried some stuff that I thought, you know, is supposed to go a certain way. And it just goes to show you that sometimes you just have to go with the flow, even if yeah. that's making less money, even if that's having less people at the show. Yeah. So I don't know. Sorry. That was long-winded but that's kind of like the difference yeah yeah for sure <laughs> in a weird way it's like it, it was the same but it's totally different yeah and i would imagine just like all of those you know stepping stones in between are necessary to the experience of making the record i'm sure you couldn't have just made this first solo record right out of high school you needed all of these things to happen totally. exactly yeah so what when you were you know growing up on this large piece of property no electricity in the trailer music was still around you and, and sort of this, this constant from what you remember. Well, my parents are really, really, my family is really musical, but they don't actually, they're not involved in music, but they just are like those types of people that just obsess over music. There's always music playing. They just, they go to concerts, um, you know, so I, I grew up around music in that sense. And um, I also really was not good at school. And I think that around that time, there wasn't a ton of options for somebody who couldn't fit into the boxes of school, like the way that it was set up. And yeah. so if you took a liking to something like music, um, if you're lucky and you had family that sort of nurtured that, then... Um, they just went all in with it. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. So then I just obsessed over it and I didn't really have TV or anything else to do. So I would walk home from school and then just like jam on the drums and somebody forgot their guitar at my house. So I started figuring out guitar. It's just like very, very simple stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I really got into it when my, my uh, parents started going to church got like really really into religion and then they started started kind of dragging me to church and so 
I got into playing on the worship team and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, I think that that kind of really, really got me going. When you picked up the guitar, did that feel, uh, feel pretty comfortable to you from the get go? And, and was there a, uh, sort of this urgency to write songs of your own opposed to learning other cover tunes? I don't know. I guess it was, um, I just started off trying to learn basic stuff. And then once I started playing in bands in high school, it would be like, I started getting more motivated. I would listen to music of bands that I really liked and I would not understand why we couldn't emulate. I don't want to say like that quality of songwriting, but I just sort of like would hear things in my head and would suggest them to guitar players. And if they, and after a while I started to realize that most people aren't, even if they're incredible at their instrument, most people don't necessarily have a mind for structuring songs, I guess. It's like a whole different type of thing. So it sort of just came out of me needing a way to get the stuff out of my head. And then eventually I just got decent enough to actually um, then switch from drums and somebody needed a guitar player. So then it was like, okay, like play my first show playing guitar. It was like, okay, like I guess I'm good enough to do this. And then it just kind of went from there, you know, kind of bouncing around. Yeah. And did you always feel pretty comfortable as far as when you got into lyric writing, using the space as a confessional or, you know, trying to uh, maybe deconstruct some things through the lyrics and process what was happening around you? Because it seems like from the the get go of the from Indian Lake stuff through what you're doing now, it's it's all got this vulnerability to it and, you know, different levels of it throughout the different parts of the catalog yeah i think um it just went it starting off from just like the certain bands really liking like there's a lot of like mainstream music that is very vulnerable that isn't really viewed in the way that it probably should be based on mostly probably mostly their peers, which makes sense because, you know, for me and lakes would be grouped with bands that I would have nothing in common with that, but based solely on the shows and the tours and the festivals and stuff that you're just like, okay, you know, and that's just kind of how it goes. So you can kind of see how that happened, but throughout the years, but um, certain bands, like I mentioned, six months on the richer. Yeah. That was like a band that because I was allowed to get into them when my parents were in their big church phase. I mean, they're still religious, but at that point, you know, they went all in and I could, there was like a few years where I had to listen to only Christian music or I had to lie about it. And one of the bands I lied about was Deftones. Mm. I heard you talking about Saturday Night Wrist as your, your go-to Deftones record. And that has some of my, my favorite songs. And I know that's like a, a controversial take on maybe that band or maybe not the, the most popular one to throw out there, but uh, that one's got some killer ones. It's funny too. Cause if you talk to people in that circle, they are just fascinated that somebody like me would think that that's their best record. <laughs> um, when you break it down though, it makes sense. But, um, but like a band like the Deftones, you know, I used to fall asleep with them in my ears. And I think they, I took to them so much 
uh, lyrically and his vocals being what they are have influenced me in such a massive way. The drums and the guitars and just everything. I think that was like, that is like a mixture of all the things that I liked about music sort of mashed into one band. And so I think lyrically I've always taken to, but then I also love a lot of like old uh, country songwriters singing about the most depressing heartbreak you know it's there's there's so many bands even like i said uh six months on literature the first album i got i don't know, i i think it's self-titled but i can't remember i can picture the cd but i think the, the opening lyrics are uh she says this is my this is my 45th depressing tune uh <laughs> They're looking for money while they clean my artistic wounds. It's like, come on. That's like the most sad, what would now somebody would say that's super emo. But in reality, it's just like people singing about, you know, somebody singing that hits you just so different than somebody singing about, you know, something that is less embarrassing. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Just to be totally real. Like a lot of the old, for me, like stuff when I was like 18, people wonder why I haven't played those songs in years. It's like, because some of the songs are ridiculous. Like the lyrics are absurd. It's like a 18 year old who thinks that, you know, he's going through the most insanely sad thing that could ever happen to anyone. And so <laughs> as a, when we get near thirties, it's like, you know, it's not like I don't want to make, listeners happy like i've definitely we've rehearsed we've tried songs before where we look at each other halfway through a song we're just like this is awful like <laughs> next like scratch you know what I mean? it's like we can tell them we tried so, but yeah lyrically i just have always connected with that stuff and so um and i've gotten really into the last few years writing positive things and love songs and all that stuff and i think that it's good to kind of write what you know, but also um, try to be vulnerable in different ways, whether it's being sad or being happy. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so when from Indian lakes got some, some traction, was that your first opportunity to really explore outside of your, your hometown? Yeah, we were doing weekend stuff and kind of the usual thing it's really weird too, because when I talk to young people, I try to tell them that it doesn't really make sense to do what a band like for me likes did, which was play a bunch of shows like you do locally, try to get into, try to get onto every touring bill that comes through town. I remember I got an email from the guy who owns chain reaction in uh, Anaheim, California. I know that venue. Well, I've, I've (laughs) played there. I've been to many shows there. Yeah, so, and he just invited us to play because he just heard a song because um, one of the dudes from Thrice's little brother, who is now a really close friend of ours, he um, just was playing in bands too. And like certain things just, and, and then in the Bay, it was kind of like a similar situation. I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty positive the first, what got things rolling too was um, this band, The Dangerous Summer which is like yeah, 
I, I think that some people would probably just say they're like some kind of, I don't know, how would you describe them? It's, a, it's I don't wrong, know, man. It's, it's, it's so hard even like thinking when I was going back listening to Able Bodies last night, I was trying to figure out what what i would call this music you know is it indie yeah, rock or post-punk it's hard or to post- nail a lot of that stuff but yeah, yeah i would say dangerous summer just kind of lives in that indie rock pop punk they at the time it was like unreal that a band like that basically one of us like met them in a bar and they were like drunk which they wouldn't mind me saying that because that's like part of their <laughs> vibe <laughs> And they were like, we should, they were like, we should tour. And that was it, you know? And then we were on a U.S. tour with this band and we went from doing what we were doing. And then suddenly it was like doing the whole U.S. playing to like five to 800 people every night. And we were like, okay, that was easy. And then like getting back into the mountains, driving an overnight from the last show on that tour and pulling into the Jamba Juice parking lot and one of our guys like walking in to open his like open the store after not sleeping for a couple days after playing that you know what I mean it was like the very it's stuff that I try to tell young people is not normal you know and then that just kind of kept happening we would just keep like we got a booking agent but in reality the booking agent really was sort of the middleman for people that we would just keep getting these lucky breaks in just a very natural kind of way. Somebody knows somebody, somebody met somebody. And I think it helped that we're just coming from our small mountain town and not being, not being super religious, but sort of just the small town mentality. We are all very normal, but also kind of weird. Yeah. So band, band guys just liked having us around a lot of the time for sure <laughs> was it was it at all jarring for you just being on the road in different places every night or was it just something you really embraced and kind of understood that this opportunity that you were being given to get to you know explore the the country by playing your music yeah we just loved it i mean we had a blast and again like it was weird the way it came together too, because like half the guys that were playing in the band didn't even know how to really play music before we started playing shows. And it was like me hanging out with friends and then, you know, being like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool to like, you know, like, Oh, I keep trying to play shows with these guys and they turn out to be assholes that are really good at music. And then it's like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if you were just this instrument and it was like, I'll just teach you the parts. Mm. And so it was like this group of guys where <laughs> probably like once a week we'd play a show and just absolutely sound like shit and just totally blow it. Like there's even there was even shows on tour where we would just quit on a song. Like one time we just quit on a song that we were fucking up so bad. And yet the show was like 15% of the tour. It was like, we were just having a blast and partying and the band, the the bands we were on tour with were just like loving how weird we were, but we were nice and respectful. You know, we weren't like 
doing anything crazy. So I don't know. It was like, we were just having a really good time. A bunch of really good friends that grew up together that, um, yeah, I don't know. We just, I think we were just meant to be cruising around. And, and did you, uh, because of your upbringing, did you feel like maybe you didn't have the same social pressures of like keeping up with the Joneses and, and shit so that you could kind of have the freedom to explore what you were and kind of pursue the music? Yeah. I mean, I had tried to go to city college just because it was not a waste of money for my family. And cause um, you know, I have a, other smart people in the family that went to college and all that stuff. But me, it was like, we, me and the, the other dudes tried to do normal stuff. Like I worked at that Jamba juice I mentioned, I worked two doors down at the Starbucks and then across the parking lot, one of the guys worked at the movie theater in town, the one like really old theater. And then I think one of the other guys also worked at, the Jamba juice. So it was like, (laughs) it was, um, we were trying to like be normal and trying to go to silly city college. But once we got invited to do touring and stuff like that, it was pretty much like, we just made sure, you know, we would save up money to then spend it to do a tour where we made, you know, we probably went in the hole, but it was like, we were just having a blast. And, um, and it was good that I had those guys on tour with me because um, two of the guys that are my best friends, um, Rick and Justin, they're like, everyone loves them instantly. And so if I was just a solo artist by myself on the road, I would not be where I am today because I don't have the social skills that they do. Because I think growing up where I grew up and having my personality you know, I'm not the life of the party or anything. And I'm even when we got older, you know, I was the guy just who would show up or maybe not show up to stuff. And I'd rather just like be at home working on music and be alone and not speaking to anyone. And so like having those guys really from a social perspective, it was like kind of a secret weapon of infiltrating the, the touring like band music world because everyone just would instantly take them just love them and i could just kind of do the music part (laughs) because that's your personality do you feel like it's even more important for your time that is spent on the mic or expressing yourself through the music and putting your voice out there in, in that way. Cause obviously I don't know with the, the from Indian Lake stuff, especially the early stuff, there's, there's a lot of angst in that stuff <laughs> yeah. and a lot of, a lot of high energy. So did you find a lot of relief in that or do you still find a lot of comfort in that being someone that's maybe shyer in those types of situations? Yeah. I mean, I think yes, in a very like, straightforward way yeah i mean i wouldn't say i'm shy i'm just not i just don't connect in the same way um i don't have the same interest in connecting like some do um i mean i'm fine with people and i think music is a way for me i think i did learn that 
sort of that was the way to express myself in the way you're saying because I'm pretty reserved around people. I I think it's more, it's not that I'm shy. I think I just don't care to connect with people yeah. in the way that some do or care to whether I'm liked as much or, you know, just stuff that really helps to make friends and things like that. <laughs> For sure. So, I, I mean, how do you feel about even doing something like this then? Like when people bug you to hit you up to see if you're down to <laughs> chat about your tunes is this something that you enjoy doing or do you do you feel like it's just a good thing to do to give some insight into the process i i enjoy things like this because i love music and i like like this what we're doing now is productive you know this is um this makes sense to me i i i've sort of like discovered in my late teens that I live my life based in like pretty firm logic. And if I don't see the logic in things, it's hard for me to care, you know, which is like why I'm, why I never really connected with going to church and why I never, you know, I was like, if you couldn't tell me the like very, very logical why of something, it was just like, well then, I don't need that, you know, like very, very simple. So um, something like this, you know, I like, I like talking about music and, you know, I like having friends and all that. Um, but there is definitely like, has been times that are probably like, hasn't helped my career where I just completely blew stuff off that somebody like, there's been times where somebody is talks about how they, yeah, like, there's a, been a million scenarios where you're just like, yeah, you should have done. You probably should have like followed through with this and that. Yeah, it's. I think it's rough to kind of feel like there's those obligations though, just because you decided to make some music or you know that you needed to do this certain thing to promote something differently or whatever. Uh, like, I don't know. I just don't think that those should be the things. Yeah, I also just get stressed too. It's like, uh, you know, I I was. I think uh, my wife and I recently, we were talking, somebody had talked about how they, somebody like huge was talking about how they have like imposter syndrome. And I was kind of like, whatever about it. And she was like, oh, you know, <laughs> it was like a weird thing for me to just be like, yeah, whatever, you know, like everybody probably has it, imposter sy syndrome a little bit. But if, if you're a certain amount of like famous in like the pop music world, you have to be fairly sure that you deserve to be there. If that makes sense. Cause there's so many decisions along the way that like, and, and I remember just telling her like a few things like, Oh, you know, like even being on tour and doing a indie, um, indie heads like AMA and last minute, I just like, couldn't do it. Cause I thought that no one would ask me any questions and that, I don't belong there. And there's like all these little things where you look back and you're just like, that was very stupid mm. of me. Probably would have been really good for my career, but it's like, you know, what can you do? Hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. Well that, yeah, man, that able bodies record was a, a game changer for me. Even coming to it a few years after it had dropped, I just felt like there was uh, there was something groundbreaking to me, I guess in, in some of the dynamics explored within that indie rock post-rock genre 
of stuff and it's it's cool nice. to get it's cool to get to hear you know that drums were kind of your first thing because i think that that's a big part of what makes those dynamics special is uh like a lot of the time signatures and the way that the cleaner guitar tones were used during heavier vocal moments and things like that i thought just brought about a different a different life to some of that that type of music that's awesome i mean i um a lot of i argued with a lot of people to do this very to do exactly the things that you're <laughs> talking about like the guitar tone i had this awesome amp i mean it's, it's still at that studio actually sort of like keeping it in the family style just because it's bigger than what i liked to tour with after a while but um it's this old tremo verb from mesa boogie and i bought it because it's what jeff buckley used nice <laughs> specifically for that exact tone that was very dynamic in that you know, if you played harder, it went harder. If you played softer, it was soft, and you didn't have to like mess with pedals too much. And so that tone, at the time, people were like obsessed with those Vox amps and like being really chimey. And I just had to argue a lot about certain little decisions like that. But I think it did end up making a kind of a unique album that probably, you know, I see like a lot of um, throwback stuff and you know i don't think i think because that album was released with no press and sort of independently i think it probably won't really get its due and like a, i don't think it's like the greatest ever but i do think that it's um i think it's cool that there's people like you who kind of hear that it does some stuff that i did wasn't really hearing at the time i think it was kind of a, a happy accident Yeah, because I think like so much, I guess, of any music genre can get saturated at a certain point with people imitating all of the bands or artists that it exists. But I don't know, it just seems to offer me personally, I guess, something different. And it still offered me like everything I, I love about a band like Thrice or, you know, or Mars Volta, but also had like some of those like folkier elements that you would throw in there and i just thought like some of those choices were were very cool and uh yeah again it just kind of like grabbed me and stuck out to me differently than maybe other stuff i was exploring at that time and that's awesome i'm curious how you feel about you know that record 10 plus years later how you feel about the kid that wrote those tunes because i know you were you were just talking about how you don't like playing maybe some of those those early songs which i i totally get but uh yeah what do you what do you feel about that record i think i'm fine with all of those songs um it's the stuff that's even older than that when i was really young that people are like play this one you know like why do you hate this song it's like guys like there is just no way I'm going to play this. <laughs> it's just crazy. Um, 
yeah but that album yeah i got a lot of people right now because the 10 year anniversary situation I, I have a lot of people that are like i'm lobbying joe for a uh, 10 year anniversary <laughs> vinyl pressing of able bodies as well as uh a new pressing of found in the smoke because i i need one of nice. those <laughs> yeah the found in the smoke ones i will i've started to get a repress going but it's now they because of the way the industry is going they told me september which probably means even 2023 so <laughs> yeah. um but able bodies you'd have to talk to the label i that's kind of the other part that was like interesting about that album is like we were playing a bunch of those songs. We recorded the album. We were touring as an independent band with no label. We were just getting on these tours, playing with all of our peers were on labels. Then um, Triple Crown saw us in New York and was really into it. But basically offered us all the labels were offering these really standard deals where coming from having already released an album independently and then somebody offering like a three album deal for like 15% was just like, again, these are, these are moments where from an early, very early on, I was already being like, I can't do this. And other people were like, you know, everybody in the industry around me was like, you're bothering us because you're not just doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you're not just signing on the dotted line without paying attention to what's happening around you. Yeah, it's just kind of like, that's how it's always kind of gone where people are just like, eh, this guy's a bother. So, you know, I'll, you know, I've done a lot of stuff like that. But so Triple Crown was like, okay, fine. And then we came back to New York and they came back out and I heard that a lot of these labels just assumed that we were just getting a better deal from someone else. Mm. And then when all of them saw that we had done like two more tours and not done anything with anyone, they were like, Oh, (laughs) that's really odd. So then triple crown was like, uh, Fred, the owner, he literally, we were eating and he was like, what do you want? What do you find? Like, fine. What do you want? And I just said, like, we just want like a fair, normal deal. Like, you know, let's split everything 50, 50. And so that was awesome. But I think ultimately what I learned is that um, if you do a deal like that, everyone's going to assume that that's not what's going on, but your label is going to make the least amount of money from you, which will then, over like a three album period mean that you're going to get the minimum push and attention. So I think ultimately that the industry has a side of it, even with people that I love and respect and they're awesome, but they're just kind of doing what you do. You know, it's a business and trying to make money. And so these little things kind of add up. So you asking for 50% cuts into that marketing budget. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I totally understand why they would go, you know, they signed these other bands within those like couple years and those bands sort of escalated in these bigger ways like really fast and people would be like, "Oh, you know, asking me all this stuff and uh talking to me about all this stuff." And I'd be like, you know, I would just kind of have to 
over the years explained to people, yeah, we have 250 to 400 people at our shows. These people have 600 people at their shows, but those guys go home and work at a local coffee shop. And I just get home and work on music because I have enough money to like pay the bills. So I learned like very, that album really was kind of what led me to that life of when you get comfortable making less money and also caring less about what everyone thinks of you, you ultimately can be a full-time artist if you just don't settle. And so, um, but anyways, I, I like that album and with the anniversary stuff, my management has been a little confused as to why I don't want to make a bunch of money. And I just think that while I respect other artists who do that stuff, no judgment, but for me, I think it's, I don't want to like insult anyone. I'm trying to think of like a way to <laughs> put this. I, I just think it's like giving treats to, I don't want to say like a dog. Like I don't, I don't think people are dogs or whatever, but it, I just think that it's a little bit like, why would they go to, I've just seen a lot of bands and artists like, who are shocked when then they tour on their new album and there's no one there. And it's because you already gave a bunch of your fans what they in their mind have decided is like the perfect from Indian Lakes ah. show. So now I'm done. Like, and you yeah. retired, didn't you? And you're like, no, I'm still out here touring. <laughs> like I've had a bunch of friends that are just like, I can't believe this. Like this tour didn't do as well as that last anniversary tour. And it's just like, yeah. Cause you basically told you let your fans know that um, if they like when they were 15 to 25, and your best album came out, which everyone from that age thinks that whatever music came out then is like the best music that came out ever, you know, you gave it to them and now they're good, you know? So it's like that on top of songs that I, if people request songs and I don't want to play them, I wouldn't play them just because they offered me more money. Right. Like I won't do anything that makes me unhappy just to have money. And so I also think it's kind of weird to see people do anniversary stuff and think about how like two weeks in they're in the green room and they're just like about to walk out on stage to play this song, these like songs that they wrote maybe when they were like really young and now they're older and they're probably just like, you know, this blows. Yeah, man. I, I, uh, I totally understand that. Not to be a bummer. That perspective <laughs> on it. And, and I also totally get why you wouldn't want to do, necessarily some sort of anniversary tour and play the record front to back um and i think that to me there's there is definitely like two different camps of people doing that type of thing and right. you know there's there's the circus survives whom i feel like they're do when they're doing anniversary tours they're actually very into it and everybody is still paying attention to the new music that they're putting out because Anthony totally. Green is just the you know one of those dudes that that people are, will love anything he puts out and rightfully so and but I have been to you know the different the different shows where you are going to some sort of anniversary show and nobody wants to hear anything new you know opposed right. opposed to like when I go see a band like thrice who I've been seeing for like the last 20 years and 
I'm so excited to see them because I don't care what the set list is and I just want to hear what they want to play. And ultimately that's like the best thing for me as an audience member because I get to hear stuff from every part of the catalog. And also I don't give a shit yeah. if they, if they want to play their, their new record front to back, I'm on board for that too. You know, it's, it's, well, uh, that's cool. I mean, that you're, you're the rare, uh, you know, I wish, I wish more people were that way, but, and also, you know, it's fine if people like what they like. Yeah. I think that we all have different brains and certain stuff makes us happy and makes us feel good. And that's totally fine. And I am really good friends with the circuit dudes. And I think that what they do is amazing and they make so much money and I'm so happy for them. And I think they're <laughs> awesome. I think it's, that's why I kind of said that I don't judge anyone else. And it's sort of like a, I think that it depends on everybody's unique and it depends, you know, I, I thought it was cool seeing some bands do like anniversary, like a couple shows. Mm -hmm. I could kind of imagine doing a show or two, maybe. I think the main thing about that stuff is just the work that goes into rehearsing and like doing stuff. And people don't realize that when you're a full-time artist and you don't, need money like you're not struggling it's hard to take something that you left behind i felt like when the Forminian lakes third album came out and all of a sudden pitchfork and npr and stereogum and all these people were like deciding that we were like in the cool club <laughs> it's like you think back to the able body days and you go wow i can't even believe this stuff that i was like stressed about is so far away now and the thought of taking that and making time out of your year to invest in that instead of something that's like rolling along just fine, it's hard to feel good about that because you're like, you know, we could be doing this, but instead we're doing the thing that we're playing those songs from then, you know, yeah. so it's like, that's also been kind of hard for me because yeah, just a lot of, there's a lot of complicated stuff, but also who knows? I think people can appreciate that though. When they do get to hear it like straight from your mouth that, Hey, this is not something I would enjoy doing or putting my time and energy <laughs> into. And I really just want to, you know, focus on making more music for now or for the future. But, uh, listening to my mouth, my lips last night, I, that's one of my favorite songs on that Able Bodies record. And I felt like obviously the younger version of yourself, but I felt like some of those some of those themes maybe had some some overlap into the Found in the Smoke record as far as, you know, some of the things you, you were speaking about in that that particular song as far as, you know, I've made a graveyard out of the things I said I wouldn't do and things like that. Yeah, you know, I like that song and nobody else liked that song when I was doing it they're wrong so, they were wrong joe <laughs> well but it also kind of goes to show you like when you listen to that song at its core it's sort of americana folk but it's sort of like passed through this filter of what we were doing at the time i like that song we never played it because for some weird reason no matter how good a drummer and bass player was there was always somebody that 
like by the time it got to tour time, we just didn't feel comfortable because we just couldn't get through. It's the simplest songs. I, I know like, I, I'm so good, such good friends with some of the greatest musicians and they have such a hard time with stuff that is repetitive and so simple because the math, if it's not tricky, their ADHD brain is like not, I don't know how to explain it, but so I, I like that song. I, but again, I think that song is sort of sets itself apart from the batch in a different way. Are they sleeping in the grave I made? Are we sleeping? And if my God allows for me to speak again, I only hope I am wiser. I'll say nothing at all. I'll say nothing at all. But I can hear all the words spilling over my lips, and I can taste every lie. I've said nothing at all. I've said nothing at all. Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub, located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. I totally think that one of the motivations for doing the Found in the Smoke album was some of the songs had more to them and I was stripping stuff away and I kind of realized like because of like a song like My Mouth My Lips, like it's what people like the most from me anyways. So I was like, why am I adding all this shit when people really just want, people always like the one or two songs from every album that are more similar to this anyways the most you know yeah so, like i mean you know the riffs are cool and everything but yeah i don't know i guess being someone that's just a big fan of singer songwriters and in that style of you know music and the americana stuff i'm a big fan of you know this solo record it's definitely one of my favorite albums that came out last year and i think it's it's cool because I appreciate like all the, you know, the big dynamics that exist in from Indian lakes, but to strip everything away and just have this focus on, on the songs and your lyrics and melodies, but to also still have some cool production elements in there too. You know, there's like all those, Thanks. you know, the synths that, that work around in there and just even thinking about, um, houseplant, the end of that song goes kind of out and it feels like there's still that experimental spirit exists even in this record that is this stripped down thing yeah that song probably goes too hard <laughs> i probably should have 
I think I let my I think I let it get away from me a tiny bit, but <laughs> it is what it is. I think uh, being a fan of like the War on Drugs and bands like that, I was kind of like, you know, I can let it loose for one song or two, you know. So that's kind of that the end of that song. I remember listening to the War on Drugs and just being like, you know what, I should just roll with the flow of some of the like guitar solo rock and stuff. synth stuff i just love synths and i also like how if you add some really awesome analog synthesized tasteful parts to indie folk music you kind of weed out some of the mostly like band bros that think that that's like not allowed and so i kind of like doing (laughs) things like that where it also has the added benefit of not having to of them you know if they hear it and they're like, oh, can't listen to this, that's like, <laughs> that's perfect. Cause it's all, I, I only want positive energy. So with this stuff. Do you remember the first song that came out of this batch of tunes? I think I've said it was Shuffle Around before. I think, um, I think Can You Be Mine? I think that that started off as just usual from Indian Lakes, you know, got home from, the dimly lit tour just before the pandemic shut everything down and just kind of getting back to my demos. I had a, I already had kind of a batch of from Indian likes demos. And then once I started shifting things, that song stripping it to just like, and then replacing, I think it was just like drums and bass and it was totally different. And then when I heard it just tracked some acoustic guitars and then kind of listened back to it, it was like, wow, this is like, totally the way that it's meant to be and then it made me realize that i probably have a bunch of stuff that needs to be like this in me uh and so once i got going it just kind of kept going so i'm pretty sure it was that song then of some of those older demos and exploring what was there along with some brand new song ideas once you kind of got everything in motion it started off that way but i think the next song was shuffle around and i think because of how i wrote that in like 15 minutes it was so simple um i had a whatever the voice app (laughs) where you record something but um i had done something with the melody and the guitar progression and then um i just started writing lyrics 
and did the recording in like a day. And that made me think that I should just keep rolling in that way instead of spending too much time trying to see what a bunch of rock demos would sound like shaped into this way. So I think I think I was kind of shocked that Can You Be Mine was meant to be the way it was and it's so like obvious and it fits in the context of the album and yet all the other ones were pretty much from there like brand new and they and they happened really fast probably within like two or three weeks are you uh doing most of the writing on on the acoustic as far as the bones of tunes or are there times that you're kicking things off on keys to spark new ideas yeah i i think it's important to you know the the stuff can become stale if you don't switch it up switch it up we get into patterns and you know we develop habits when it comes to guitar stuff so um i kind of force myself i i treat songwriting and recording very much like work in a lot of ways um in the sense of like you know do what you love for a living and you'll never work a day in your life like mm. that kind of thought so it's like you know there's definitely days where i say this is what i'm going to do and to think that every artist just gets in a room and lights a joint and just like rolls with the vibes you know what i mean that's just sometimes you got to kind of like work it out so yeah i like i think using other instruments um i got someone who's going to record some some saxophone on some stuff and you know just seeing how being open-minded seeing what works yeah so in that sense will you pick up a guitar or an instrument and and write just for the simple exercise of it even if you're not necessarily feeling inspired definitely yeah i think that it's really important to just there's been times when i was feeling very uninspired and then i write something that's you know the best of the new batch or there's been times when i think i'm feeling really inspired and when i listen back to what i came up with the next day or something it's like the corniest song <laughs> of all time you know what i mean like that's just how it goes so you have to kind of go with the flow you know set schedules and just kind of you know especially if you're like me I, I set schedules but also you know shit happens so if you are like i don't i have this time but i don't really feel like doing anything you should probably just do it anyways hmm. because you know stuff comes up and you might not you might be really frustrated that you haven't had the opportunity to get back in the studio for a week or two and you have some ideas that you're excited about. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, there's like, uh, there's a lot of lyric moments throughout the whole record that kind of give me all the feels, man. Um, it's, it's, nice. it's a tough record for me to listen to without, you know, having, having it evoke some sort of deep thought at times, which I really appreciate. And I think is what, draws me into a record like this i was curious if you felt like this record is the most vulnerable thing you've put out or if you feel like it's revealing of yourself in any sort of different way from things you've put out in the past i mean i think that i i think that like i had a lot of friends and family 
text me and reach out and say how much they like the album, like kind of has never happened with any of my other albums. So I think that um, revealed more of myself than ever before in the way that you sort of, as you age, you sort of like know thyself better in that way. So I think um, some people might think that it's not as vulnerable because I'm not saying like, I'm sad or this is bad, you know, but uh, I think that in a better poetic way, um, it is sort of revealing in the way that when you're 20, you're not as comfortable singing about being in love with someone at and at being at the grocery store or like doing things, you know, it's like people don't understand. It's easy to it's easy to be listening to a super angsty band and then write a bunch of angsty stuff that we can all as young 20 somethings yell about, you know what I mean? It's, it's, um, I mean, nothing's easy, but it's, it's easier than doing something like this in that way sort of is more vulnerable to me in that sense, or just singing about being lonely you know, and not like sort of trying to get more of a trying to be extreme because you want the listener to be more sad, you know, just sort of like being like, yeah, sometimes I get a little lonely. It's yeah. like, that's true, more true than if I were to sing a lyric that was like, you know, more intense. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's uh, definitely something I've learned to appreciate over time. You know, it's, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I would have been uh, just more on board with someone telling me that their their heart has been cut out and whatnot. And now I just, exactly, I, th- I think there's a lot of cool <laughs> subtlety in just maybe these lines that almost feel like throwaway lines at some at some time or like feel insignificant, but they seem to to hit with people, you know, and it's just like those little moments or, you know, talking about getting stoned while she's at work or whatever, you know, it's uh totally something that you go, you know, Oh, my aunt might be like, what the hell? If she hears <laughs> that, but you do it anyways, you know, cause it's real. Yeah. Or even these things that don't necessarily have any context around them. And one line doesn't have to meet the next necessarily. And it can just be fragmented thoughts of things. Yeah. I think that there's something to the Sufjan iron and wine school of lyricism where you're just like, I have no idea what this person is singing about, but I also feel like no one's ever saying more about myself than, you know, there's like something about, putting more abstract lyricism out there that people can apply to themselves easier. And I think there's also something to putting out music that doesn't have to like interrupt the party. It was really important for me on this album to make sure that the mixes and the tones weren't like everybody has to stop what they're doing and listen, you know, it's okay to just like be in the background too, which I think a lot of artists would say, if they were being honest, is really its own, it's it's a really difficult thing to achieve, is to make music that people could also choose to ignore if they wanted to. 
I agree. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you kind of definitely hit it out of the park with this this batch of tunes, man. It's easily like that thing I want to throw on with my morning coffee and just kind of have playing, or it's you know just the same of throwing it in the headphones and actually listening to what you're saying and whatnot. It's uh, to me, it it serves like both spaces or has has that dynamic to it. So. Like hesitation when you're putting a record out like this as far as the vulnerability to it do you get do you get nervous at all about what people are going to think as far as your your peers or your family and friends or have you been doing this long enough where you don't really you don't really give a shit and you you're just stoked to put the music out uh i mean everybody gives a shit about everything but i think i am fine with whatever as long as it feels right to put out whatever I'm putting out for myself. So there's definitely been times over the years where whatever was going on, I was losing sleep over. And so to do things and be in a place where I'm at peace with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and all that, I think that's like a good place to stay in with, with how I do stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I saw in talking about this record, you kind of were saying that this is kind of you returning home with with nothing to prove is what's on the band camp. And I was kind of curious what you meant by that. Um, Just, you know, no, specifically, I remember on Able Bodies, I was like, how are people going to know how capable I am of writing a riff like this? How are people going to know that I can hit that high note, you know, it's like you're young and you think you just are thinking about the way you're going to be perceived about in every way. And so to be in a place on top of everything else we've talked about, but also to feel like you could put a song out there. And even if it doesn't show certain aspects of your capabilities, it's like, who cares? You know what I mean? Which is something I think isn't really talked about that often in the music world is that um, a lot of art is made and the artist is worried about showcasing everything. But I think once you let go of that, you start to make, like your, you start to notice your favorite artists are okay with having one song here, one song there that's like, showcases like totally different things but in a way that maybe you just like less than the other songs but you might not like the other songs as much as you do in the context of an album if you didn't hear these other songs and just yeah certain stuff like that for sure and uh in hindsight as far as how you grew up which would maybe seem not 
normal, quote unquote, to a lot of other folks that didn't, you know, grow up on some large piece of property in in their rural area. Do you feel like there was some advantages to growing up in that setting or that like some things that you've grown to really appreciate about your upbringing that has kind of informed how you operate? Because I think for some people that can associate small town mentality as being very narrow or, or having a lot of blind spots. Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool, especially being back here during an election and a pandemic and all this stuff. There's a lot of people, um, you know, I lived in New York for a long time and I lived in Oakland, California for a long time. And, and then being an artist, being fairly progressive and liberal and, but coming back to a place like this and people that, I have a lot of different views on a lot of things with being able to just kind of connect with them and sort of just exist together. And, you know, obviously like not uh, ignore anything, any problems or anything, but just be able to like uh, most people realize after connecting with me that I sort of out redneck most people around here. So it's like, (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of weird for them to, be like oh maybe all liberal hippies like you aren't so bad you know what i mean it's like that's that's been like a big part of what my upbringing where i come from and kind of knowing that world so closely and then coming back to it so yeah yeah well it's cool that you have that mentality because i think that's like the only way to like really bridge those things is trying to find like common ground amongst those folks and it doesn't mean that you have to you know sacrifice your or compromise your your beliefs but i think you know when you actually get to talk with people that might have different viewpoints and find some things you have in common that that always helps or like just the willingness to do so i think it's okay to let people know you disagree with them but also there's plenty of conversations that you can just sort of be polite and respectful and nobody has ever changed their views by somebody getting angry at them and like i feel like more people change the way that they see things by interacting with someone who is good and kind in their eyes in an interaction you know making them think that maybe the way they view everybody is not so accurate um so yeah that's kind of been kind of been the vibe here i mean definitely been times where it gets a little tricky but yeah what can you do you know for sure well fuck man i uh i really appreciate you uh giving me some of your time and and chatting with me i i love your songwriting and the found in the smoke record is my favorite batch of tunes that you've had something to do with writing and i'm so excited you're gonna be in portland in a couple weeks and i'm planning to be at that show and i'd encourage people to check out the other tour dates i'm also going to be out at tree fort which i'm excited to see you playing out there in boise so and uh i'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can keep up with with all the music and and what you're doing i want to play the episode out with the last track on the found in the smoke record which is if you're here it's uh maybe one of my favorite songs in your your whole catalog of tunes, Joe. And I, nice. <laughs> I, I really loved 
the the ending to this one just that that candid moment of you talking at the end i think you said like oh it's something like that you know yeah because it's a i thought it was gonna be just a scratch demo it's just a live take but when i showed my uh my partner in music who's kind of been there since we were kids he was like no it's perfect so i was like oh okay it's very cool i think i think those candid kind of moments just make you feel like maybe you're in the room or you know behind the scenes of things so i appreciated that 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 little moment kind of gets left in there and uh ends the record awesome i'm glad you like it well cool man thank you so much we we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program so if we could get the joe van it's a program we can properly end this thing it means absolutely nothing it's just the way my grandfather says the the news program he says program so uh it's just a goofy way to end the show cool so i just say it's a program yep nice does that count that can count absolutely cool we can just go with the first take you know the scratch the scratch track i don't want to overthink it (laughs) awesome dude well we're gonna play it out with if you're here off the found on the storm record All the links will be in the episode notes and uh, that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, California, wherever you are listening from. Big shout out to Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their 
already affordable prices, even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up, stay tuned.